just a reminder, Leviticus chapter 13, as you're turning there, 13 was about leprosy, and it was about sin, really, the parallel there. Uh, chapter 14 was about salvation. Chapter 15 is about sanctification. And 16 is about the Day of Atonement. So chapter 13 through 15, again, it's about leprosy, uh, le- leprosy, <laughs> leprosy, and we saw the parallel um, of sin and salvation. And chapter 15, really, I'm going to just give you kind of a quick, we don't do this often, but I'm going to give you a quick summation of this chapter, because it essentially says the same thing in many different ways in every verse, uh, over and over. And it's about uh, uh, purity, basically. And in the ancient world, it was common to include um, uh, like intimate actions with the worship of God. And the main parallels of this chapter, of the New Covenant, are just a couple of things. Again, I'm just going to kind of do it in a summation kind of thing. Number one, we see in chapter 15 that spiritual cleanliness is important to God. In other words, to put it simply and shorter, purity matters, right? Purity matters. And number two, uh, Jesus is the one who makes us fit for fellowship. Uh, John 15.3 says, uh, Jesus says, You are already clean because of the word of which I have spoken to you. And that's what the word of God does, right? It washes, it cleanses, it purifies, it refines. Uh, And under the new covenant, as we receive from the word of God, we are, again, we're being cleansed day by day. And number three, our cleanliness results from abiding in Jesus. In other words, stay close to him continually. And uh, for that, I want to kind of read 1 John 1, 7 through 9, which says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So sanctification is a lifelong process, but it's a beautiful process. Uh, It could be painful, but it leads to purity. That's what sanctification does. Through the years, I've loved seeing people come to Christ, and God just, God refines them and transforms them. I'm sure you guys have seen that too, in your own lives and in the lives of your family and friends that get saved, right? Like, to see new believers get the truth, like, understand it, and then, like, watch their desires change before your eyes, like, whoa, (laughs) they don't do that anymore. They don't want to do that anymore. They actually want to go to church. They actually want to serve God. The process of God working on our hearts, again, it's, it can be painful, but it's necessary in the long run. It's a blessing. <laughs> so that's chapter 15 in a nutshell. If you want to go back and read those verses, go for it. But we're going to focus on chapter 16 tonight. And, and here's the thing. When, it, when we start this about the Day of Atonement, like some days are more important to us than others, right? Like our daughters love and look forward to birthdays. They just they love birthdays. They talk about it months before. Like, what are we going to do? What, what's my theme, you know? Uh, Lily just had a birthday party, and it was a sloth. She loves sloths. And uh, she moves like a sloth, too. She's really slow. But she, um, she so we, everything was sloths, right? All her pre- most of her presents and all the decorations is all about. But she was looking forward to that day. And they, they love Sundays, and they love Wednesdays, because we get to go to church together, and they get to hang out and see their friends and learn and all that. And I love Mondays, because I our family, it's our family day, and we get, to be, we get to be together like all day long. And maybe for some it's the last day of school or, um, or the weekend where you get a break from work. Uh, sometimes we hold certain like days above other days, and that's fine. But the most important day for the Jews in the Old Testament was the Day of Atonement. Like this was the Day of Days. 
also known as Yom Kippur, right? Uh, or as J. Vernon McGee says, he's an old-timer, right? He was an old-timer. He says, Yom Kippur, that's what he says, but Yom Kippur. Uh, now, as we, we've been going through Leviticus, like we've seen that the people had to give sacrifices, right, to atone or to cover their individual sin. But the Day of Atonement was all about the sin of the nation, like as a whole. God graciously atoned for all the sins of all the people and gave the nation a new beginning. Because today there's no temple or, you know, or human priest. Israel can't celebrate Yom Kippur in the appointed way, but those who have received Christ can see in this day as, like a picture, see it as a picture of what Jesus did on the cross, which, again, we're going to take a look at as we journey through chapter 16. I'm going to attempt to finish it all. I don't know if I will. We'll see what happens. But, uh, I mean, it's only 34 verses, right? So, uh, let's pray again, and then we'll get into it. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we get to let your word speak for itself, Lord. We just pray that we would dig in, Lord, and that you would uh, help us to retain those things in our hearts, Lord, that you're speaking to us. We just thank you, Lord, that um, your word is historical, but it's also practical. It, um, it, it, it gives us biblical history, but it also hits our hearts, Lord, and individually speaks to us. So we thank you for that, and we just pray that you'd speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So really, it's kind of broken up, chapter 16, into three parts. First, we're going to see the priests, their, their job, what they did. We're going to see the place, and then we're going to see the people. The priests, the place, and the people. So verse 1 and 2 of Leviticus 16, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord, remember that? We'll look at that. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil, don't be casual about it, basically, before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So basically, Aaron was restricted and not allowed to come into the holy place just any time. I feel like going to the holy of holies. You know, it, you couldn't just do that. So the fear of the Lord, it had, it, it, you know, it had to have been on Aaron and the priests, right? Because of what happened to Nadab and Abihu, right? I mean, remember, these two were struck down by the Lord because they came into the holy place and offered profane fire before the Lord. He didn't prescribe them to do this, right? And it's even highly thought that they were in, like, intoxicated, which made them make bad decisions, which this was one of them. And so what happened to them? Well, they, they, one, of the, one pastor says they were fired from ministry. Literally, fire came down from heaven and consumed them, right, and took them out. So Aaron and his sons, I mean, you, you can imagine, like, this sobered them up. It had its attendant effect. Because anytime God starts a work, he might do something serious like that in order to show the people, this is a serious work. It's serious that you do things the way I say to do things, because he is God. But Aaron and his sons wondered whether it was at all safe to enter certain parts of the tabernacle to do their work. So God made it crystal clear, right, like that the priest should not be afraid to, to serve, of course. Don't be like, I'm serving out of fear because I'm going to die any minute. No, but that only the high priest was able to go to the Holy of Holies, enter the Holy of Holies, only once a year and the, at the Day of Atonement. This wasn't about the priest making choices. This was about God's plan, like his sovereignty, what he, pres what he prescribed, what he says. Any priest that did not follow this plan would die. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty serious warning, right? That should, like, sober us up, you know? Certain things, if we do, like, if, we, if, if I do that, if I 
no-brainer stuff. If I step off this cliff, I'm going to die. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, certain stuff is, is no-brainer. So he made it very clear, don't do that. Don't just go in anytime you want. The priests, you know, the priests weren't like partners with God. Those are one of, one of my pet peeves, I guess. They say, I'm partnering with God. Well, no, God's leading you and you're following. We're servants of God, right? We're not co-partners like in this thing, right? We're servants of the Lord. We're serving him. Uh, they were his servants. The priests were his servants enacting his will. So th- this God-appointed day was on the 10th day of the seventh month. And the Jewish calendar is detailed in Leviticus 23, but, uh, and we'll look at that you know, when we get, get there. But let's look at the importance of the seventh month, which for us, it's like mid-September, mid-October. So on the first day of the seventh month, the trumpets were blown to announce the beginning of a new year. Rosh Hashanah, right? You can find that in Leviticus 23. So the tenth day was the Day of Atonement, and then came the Feast of Tabernacles, or booths, which started on the fifteenth day of the month and lasted for a week. So see, the blowing of the trumpets like announced a new year, but only the shedding of blood could give the people a new beginning. Hebrews 9.22, we'll reference this a couple times. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remission of sins. Yes, there was sin in the camp, and not every offender had brought the required sacrifices the previous year, and the sanctuary itself had been defiled in ways only God knew and could see. It was time for a new beginning. So, see, the high priest had to, uh, had to repeat the ritual of the Day of Atonement year after year, every single year. But... The amazing thing is, and I love looking forward as we look at this, as we look back, that Jesus came at the appointed time to finish the work no one else could do. So when Jesus said it was finished from the cross, he was saying that blood has been spilled so that the one, you know, once, for, once for the sacrifice to be complete. And I love Galatians 4, 4, and 5. Galatians 4, 4, and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so the death of Christ on the cross has fulfilled the day of atonement. Hebrews 9.26 says, Then he would have to suffer once since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies like once a year. Uh, after Christ's death and resurrection, we have lifelong access. You look at that comparison, and you're like, thank you, Lord, that's amazing. So now I can go anytime to the, to, to the throne of grace and, and seek God and, and have access to him through Christ. What? Not just once a year? Yes, every day. It is just mind-blowing. It's amazing. And then we go on in verse 3. It says, Then Aaron shall come unto the holy place... When, uh, with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering, he shall put the holy linen tunic on linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash, and with a linen turban he shall be attired. This, uh, these are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. Verse 5, And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. So here's what Aaron needed to bring with him when he goes into the Holy of Holies. So before sins could be even covered for the nation, Aaron had to take care of his own individual sins. 
get right with God before you serve me, basically. And so Aaron had to come clothed in garments of humility. And I love that picture. He was clothed in simple linen garments. Aaron had to wash physically before he was spiritually cleansed. And traditionally, this washing was, was done by you know, full immersion. And, and it wasn't enough that the high priest serve on the right day for the right purpose and the people have the right attitude. It was also imperative that the priest follow the right procedure that God gave them, down to the T. Right? Like the Day of Atonement wasn't a time for clever ideas or you know, innovations like, Lord, I, that's great, but I, I think I have an easier way to do this. Or maybe I, let's change the order. You don't negotiate with God, right? You know, I mean, Jacob did that. didn't work out well. Like, we don't try to get our way. It's like, no, 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 our way is subservient to God's way. God's way is what matters. And so the right procedure was important, and God gave it to them. The Day of Atonement, it wasn't a time for, again, innovations, clever ideas. It was a time just to follow God's divine order. Now, the high priest had to make sure the proper sacrifices were available. A bull, a ram for himself and his family, and two goats, and a ram for the people. And so the animals, they had to be like examined right, to ensure they had no defects or uh, blemishes. And so the high priest took off his glorious garments, washed at the laver, and put on the simple linen garments of an ordinary priest. Like he would leave his glorious garments in the holy place and return later to put them back on afterwards. And so laying aside his glorious clothes was an act of humility. Washing at the laver was an act of sanctification. So there's an act of humiliation, humility, and an act of sanctification, washing at the laver. So it all has an order. God's order is perfect. He didn't leave anything out. So the high priest was setting himself apart, number one, to serve the Lord, and number two, to serve his people on this special day. And that's what, that's our, like, as believers, you know, as sons and daughters of the Lord, as ambassadors of Christ, you know, we, we get to serve the Lord and we get to serve one another. And that's such a privilege and that's such a blessing. But looking forward in a much greater way, Jesus did all of this for us. John 17, 9, Jesus says, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through truth. Jesus, of course, never needed to be cleansed, right, like from sin, but he did set himself apart to serve. He laid aside his glory and came into the world as a humble, like, baby. Jesus was God's suffering servant and humbled himself, died on the cross, completed his work, returned to heaven, and dressed himself once again in the glory that is his. The new covenant came to complete the old, so we are not bound anymore by these ritualistic actions which ultimately look forward to the, the covenant, you know, uh, post-resurrection. So Jesus did the sac uh, sacrificing for us, right? He sacrificed himself for us. He took on God's wrath so that those who believe don't have to. Uh, aren't you glad? <laughs> we don't have to take on the wrath of God like we're forgiven through Christ. So the Day of Atonement was called the Great Day, Yoma. It means the Great Day or just the day. Modern Jews still regard this day, Yom Kippur, as important, and they fast, they do soul-searching, they, they right their wrongs, but they don't offer sacrifices anymore in the modern day. And I wish they knew or believed that Jesus being slain was the last and final sacrifice who completed the plan of redemption. We'll talk more about that, but verse 6, 
Moving on, it says, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. So it was kind of cool. So here was like the casting of lots to choose between the two goats. I guess one way to say it is like rolling dice, kind of like me, like, hey, who's going to do it? But after sacrificing the bull as a sin offering for himself, the high priest cast lots, chose between the two goats, and the Talmud, the Talmud, which is the source from which the code of Jewish law is derived, stipulated that the two goats be as alike as possible in size, in color, in value. One goat was for the Lord, would be sacrificed as a sin offering, and one goat would be the scapegoat and would be released into the wilderness. So each goat had an important role on the Day of Atonement. And see, the scapegoat was the, really, the escape goat, the escape goat. Like the great, or the goat escaped death and went into the wilderness. And the word scapegoat is the Hebrew word azazel, and this word was removal. It means removal or uh, dismantle or complete removal. So atonement meant one escape death. So the releasing of the goat symbolized the sins of the people being carried away, never to be against them, held against them again. And I always love, you know, Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You know, transgression is different than sin because transgression is Knowing it's wrong, but doing it anyway. I'm sure your kids never do that, right? They know it's wrong, but they do it anyway, and they get in trouble. That's transgression. So God removes our transgression. He forgives us. He put, puts our sin behind him. And so it's, it's the best news. Lord forgives and puts our sin behind him, never to use it as ammo to condemn us. Neither should we use someone else's sin, past sin, that we've forgiven them for as ammo. Well, you did this seven and a half years ago. On this exact day. No, don't use it against one another. It's forgiven. So the goat that was killed, the blood was sprinkled on the holy of holies. It was sprinkled on the mercy seat, right? He also sprinkled it in in the holy place of the tabernacle, applied it to the horns of the um, brazen altar along with the blood uh, of the bull. So he purified the tabernacle uh, altar from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Again, this is as a nation. And so the high priest would put both hands on the head of the living goat and, and confessed you know, over it all the wickedness of rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, he confessed. So under the new covenant, we confess our sins, right? And through the high priest, Jesus, we are forgiven. Just a beautiful picture. Jesus did the work of sacrifice once and for all. And so we don't have to kill animals on a regular basis. Aren't you glad? It would be messy and expensive. And it would just be like, thank you, Lord, for sending Christ to do that. And atone means, again, atone means to cover. So sins were temporarily covered, but because of Christ, they're no longer covered. Our sins are actually eradicated and annihilated dissolved like completely, not just covered with a band-aid, 
If I have a big slice on my arm, it's bleeding out everywhere, I'm not like, hey, honey, give me a Band-Aid. Like, I'm going I'm, I'm to probably need to be, it to be cleaned out and stitched and surgery, whatever. Like, so it's, our sin isn't just covered under the new covenant. It's totally like, eradicated. It's totally forgiven. Again, thank you, Lord. So much to be thankful for in that regard. And so verse 11, it says, And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. And then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side, and therefore the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So now that the high priest was washed and dressed and, and went into the altar where he sacrificed a bull as sin offering for himself and his family, he took bull blood and a censer of coals from the altar and entered the Holy of Holies. Now he put the incense on the coals, and the cloud of smoke would just cover the mercy seat upon the ark, and he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat seven times. Right again, the seven is a number of perfection. So the cloud of incense really symbolized the glory of God, and this is a picture of the high priest putting God's glory above everything else. And it's like Jesus' prayer in John 17, 1. Glorify thy son, that thy son may glorify thee. Like our ultimate goal as God's people is for God's glory. Right? The high priest needed a sacrifice because he was a sinner. Right? But Jesus didn't need a sacrifice because he was sinless, our perfect high priest. And then verse 15 it says, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with the, that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat, so he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of the transgressions for all their sins, and so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for the assembly of Israel. Verse 18. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around it. And then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it, and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. So again, like the goat is offered, it's to make atonement for the tabernacle. Now the goat was sac uh, sacrificed. It was also like Jesus in that it was spotless was from the people of Israel, was chosen by God, was taken to the holy place for atonement. The blood cleansed the house of God, which, which was made unclean by man's touch, basically. And then verse 20, And when he has made an end of the atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. I'm sorry. Uh, I was right. I was right. Okay. 
Verse 21, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel, all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. And the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. It's really cool. Like again, Aaron dealt with the sin of the people by releasing the goat. And in the Old Testament, sin was put away, uh, but never eliminated. Right? One ancient rabbi says the goat was taken 10 miles away out of Jerusalem, where there was refreshment stations along the way for the man taking the goat out of the city. He got to the point to let the goat go and waited for the goat to wander off. And so then the sin was gone, and the Day of Atonement was complete. Sin was put away, but not completely. Like, how could one know for certain that God accepted the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement? Well, what if someone accidentally, like, encountered the scapegoat in the wilderness? Like, they're walking, they're like, oh, there's the goat we released. I see it again. I'm not supposed to see it anymore, right? And so what if the scapegoat wandered back among the people of Israel? Like, through their tradition, the Jews began to deal with these concerns. It says, on the head of the scapegoat, a piece of scarlet cloth was tied, and the tradition of the Jews state that if God accepted the sacrifice, the scarlet cloth turned white while the goat was led to the desert. But if God had not accepted this expiation, the redness continued, and the rest of the year was spent in mourning. Through this, they thought to have a certainty about the work of atonement. And it goes on, it says, it seems that later the Jewish people altered the ceremony so the goat would be killed and have no chance of contacting Israel again. It says, the Jews write that this goat was carried to the mountain called Azazel, which whence the goat is so called, and that there was, a, a, was cast headlong, right? And that the red string by which he was led turned white when God was pleased with the Israelites. Otherwise, it remained red, and they mourned all that year. And the ancient Hebrews write that 40 years before the destruction of the temple, which was about the time of Christ's death, that the red string turned no more white. So when Jesus' blood, uh, when Jesus's blood, red body, rose from the dead, clothed with white garments, it was proof forever that the red had changed to white, and atonement at the cross was perfect and complete. Just a really amazing picture. We'll talk more about that in verse 23. It says... Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off the linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his body with water in the holy place, put on the garments, come out to offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar, and he who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp." The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement for the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn it in the fire, their skins, their flesh, and their offal. And then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. So really what this is, is like the completion of the sacrifice. Like, so after releasing the scapegoat, the high priest uh, and the one who released the scapegoat washed and sinned, and the sin and burnt offering would be completed, finished. So when atonement was finished, the priest came out of the tabernacle in glory. So let, let me just give you a parallel between the high priest on the day of atonement and Jesus. So on the day of atonement, number one, the high priest was humble. He had to go in there with humility. Couldn't be any pride there. 
Get right with God, then go in there. Humility. High priest was humble. Number two, the high priest was spotless. Right? He had to confess. He, he, he asked forgiveness. Right? He came, got right with the Lord. Number three, the high priest was alone. It was just him going in there. And then four, the high priest emerged victorious. And these are all things that relate to Jesus. He was humble. He came to serve. Jesus was spotless, right? He was sinless. He was alone. He had to die on the cross alone. Victorious. He was victorious over sin and over death. And so it's such an awesome picture, symbolism, parallel, foreshadowing of what is to come, a new covenant. And then verse 29, it says, And this shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. So what the people did on the Day of Atonement, this is what they did, like afflict your soul means a day of fasting and rest. And uh, modern Jews who do observe the Day of Atonement, you know, typically fast for that day. Again, yet they have no sacrifices for sin. But, but actually some Jews, as I'm looking into this, consider their own sacrifice to be suitable. Like today, some sacrifice a rooster for every male in the family and a hen for every female on the Day of Atonement, a vague shadow of obedience to Leviticus 16. Some Jews consider charity a suitable uh, substitute for sacrifice, right? The word charity in modern Hebrew is the same as the word for righteousness. Some Jews consider suffering a suitable substitute for sacrifice, and this is unhealthy, but among the Jews in Eastern Europe, there used to be a custom where they would afflict uh, 39 lashes upon themselves on the Day of Atonement. To physically, they took this and they took it literally as physically afflicting themselves. Some Jews consider good works, a lot of Jews actually consider good work, uh, works or the study of the law as a suitable substitute for sacrifice. But afflicting the soul brought the Israelites into sympathy with the afflicted sacrificial victim, even as the believer identifies with Jesus on the cross. And so Yom Kippur ends with the blowing of the shofar. I was going to ask, I should have asked you to bring your, he, uh, Tim has a shofar. And the uh, blowing of the shofar, the trumpet that heralds the coming of the Messiah. And let me just read you the ancient prayer in the Jewish Day of Atonement liturgy. It reads, this is a prayer that they would do. Our righteous Messiah has departed from us. We are horror stricken and have none to justify us. Our iniquities And the yoke of our transgressions, he carries who is wounded because of our transgressions. He bears on his shoulder the burden of our sins to find pardon for all our iniquities. By his stripes we shall be healed, O eternal one. It is time that thou should create him anew. It's a traditional prayer that the Jews would do on the Day of Atonement. 32 to 34, we're going to finish this tonight. Praise the Lord. So 32 it says, and the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place, shall make atonement and put on the linen cloths, the holy garments. And then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. Last verse, 34. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And what the high priest does on the Day of Atonement, so every year atonement had to be made, it had to be made, 
demonstrating it was never completed. In contrast, Jesus provided a finished work. And in regards to that, I want to finish with these verses because I think they're really appropriate. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 to 28 says, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifices of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin, for salvation. So that is amazing news and an awesome parallel between what we're looking at and Day of Atonement. It, again, it's covered back in this day. It was covered. You still have to do it every year. But Jesus said it is finished from the cross. The perfect lamb that was slain once and all to forgive the sins of humanity as we come to him. And so that's, that's how and that's why we have access to God through Christ. The bridge, he's the... He's the foundation. He's the one who we go through to actually connect to God. Not just once a year. Some people do it once a year. Some people twice a year, Easter and Christmas. But, but we get to do it every day. We get to come to the throne of grace and seek God every single day. And I think sometimes we take that for granted. And it's just like, oh, yeah, no big deal. I'll talk to God. It's, it is a big deal. It's pretty amazing that we get to seek him, that we get to pray to him, learn from him, that he listens to us. 